Before we start this episode, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which we're recording this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to their elders, both past, present, and emerging. Always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. Yeah! Hey, I'm Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. The biggest issue I had was just the amount of scrutiny that I felt like I was facing from like domestic media, international media, and just the general perception of me. I really struggled with for a little while. Michelle Jenica shot to fame essentially overnight. She was competing at the Junior World Championships when she was 19 and did what she always does before a race, her jiggle as it's known. Happy Dance on the start line, which was filmed and went viral on YouTube. Michelle's life changed that day. She was everywhere. US talk shows, Coca-Cola commercials, and was in Sports Illustrated. It was both a blessing and a curse. She now had an incredible platform and profile, but the expectation and scrutiny she faced was intense. Competing at the Rio Olympics, her face was on billboards all over the city and even in the Olympic Village. Despite racing through pain and injury, a disappointing result saw the blame centre on her popularity as a distraction. More negativity throughout the next few years saw Michelle take a break and step back. But soon that fire in her was ignited again and last year, she was again in the spotlight for a dominant performance at the World Championships, then at the Commonwealth Games. There's more to Michelle than just a jiggle. She's self-assured, strong, smart, and has always been true to herself. And it all begins growing up as an energetic but self-confessed nerd in Sydney. Um, I feel like I was a big ball of energy. Um, <laughs> I always had lots of things going on, played lots of different sports, um, but also a massive nerd. Um, yeah. you, you know, when I was in um, primary school, I did like RoboCup, um, which is where you like build robots out of Lego and then compete against other schools and stuff who are doing the same thing. Ah, cool. <laughs> I mean, I, I still am a bit of a nerd. <laughs> but yeah, it was sort of a combination between being a big nerd with glasses and um, just being an absolute fiend during sport. <laughs> is that a bit like, is, you know, it's very political at school sometimes. It's like you're good at sport, but then there's like, there's also the smart kids and, and the, the, the kids that are into, well, I don't want to say nerdy, but you said nerdy <laughs> in that scene into their ro- I, I, robotics I mean and in stuff. A, in, a, in a nice way. In being a nice good way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> They're the ones making money at the moment. Um, but did you kind of like walk between two worlds then in school a little bit? I probably did a little bit, but I've never really been someone who's just like tried to put myself into a container. Um, I've never sort of been like, this is who I am. I just sort of like, these are the things that I like to do and that's what I'm going to do. I grew up surrounded by people that pretty much told me I could do whatever I wanted to do, be whoever I wanted to be. Um, I didn't really phase myself too much about, I don't know, the social hierarchy of things, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I was just who I was and I sort of fit in wherever that was. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't necessarily have like really sporty friends or like, um, you know, like really nerdy friends. Like I I had a bit of a combination. I just sort of, yeah, it was friends with you just did Whoever you. I sort of liked. <laughs> yeah, you just did you, right? Yeah. I like that. Sport. What sports did you play? So I played football, as in like soccer. Mm-hmm. I played that from ages 
six till 17, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually used to play with the boys. I didn't really play much um, mm-hmm. female soccer unless I was playing in school. Played a little bit of basketball. It was not my best sport, but I did have a lot of fun with it. I find that um, strange because you're good at jumping hurdles. Would think that would translate a little bit into the onto the basketball court. Yeah, those sorts of parts of basketball were bits, bits I was good at. The shooting, not quite sure. so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I actually used to dance quite a lot. Hey. So, yeah, that, that was sort of the main ones. I dabbled in a few bits and other bits and pieces, played some touch football at school, did a bit of European handball. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Pretty much anything I could try, I uh, I did. <laughs> and running? When did running kind of, yes. how did that start? I think I did one year of maybe under sevens or under eights, little athletics, um, which I really didn't enjoy. It was on a Saturday morning. It was too early for me. I've never been much of a morning person. <laughs> um, so I didn't really enjoy it. Um, and then came back to little athletics when I was in the under tens mm-hmm. um, and joined Cherubook Little Athletics just on a Friday night mm-hmm. um, and just loved it. Mm. And that's yeah. how it all started. Were you fast to start with? Were you always fast? Um. I wasn't super fast. <laughs> mm. Like even at my little A's club, I was probably like the fourth fastest. Sure. I was always pretty good over hurdles, um, but I wasn't, like I was pretty fast, but I wasn't super fast when I was young, no. Um, but I've just always loved it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Did you have any role models? Did you have dreams? Was Olympic something early on you identified or was there a moment that really took you and athletics in the path that you've gone down? So I actually think I'm quite interesting in the fact that I never really dreamt of going to the Olympics. Um, it, was, it wasn't something I, that I really saw for myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that I look at the Olympics and firstly, I just know, like I've always known just how few people actually make it there. And, you know, mm-hmm. as, as a kid, so many people doing sport and it's such a small percentage of them that actually go through and go to the Olympics. So I knew how difficult it was. Mm. And then on top of that, I just always heard how tough it was to be an elite sports person and how much you had to sacrifice and put into it. And it wasn't something I ever saw myself doing. Mm. I did sport because I enjoyed it. I I wasn't looking for anything like to really get anything out of it. I just, I really enjoyed doing sport. Mm. And I was actually (laughs) quite old when I decided I might want to go to the Olympics. And when I talk about quite old, it was after I'd already been to the Commonwealth Games that I sort of thought, oh, yeah, I guess I could do that. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. After you've won Um, the green and gold. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that when I was younger and all the athletes that I saw and all the messaging that was sort of coming through was, yeah, just, just how difficult it was, how much you had to sacrifice. And then I sort of found my own way to do it where I found a way that I just enjoyed it. I just mm. enjoyed everything that I do. And, and when I say it, it doesn't mean that I don't, I don't work hard, I don't push myself. There are times of training where I absolutely mm. hate it. But just generally overall, I enjoy it. And the things that might be like sacrifices are actually just, I feel just like choices that I've mm. made that I'm comfortable with. So mm. they don't feel like sacrifices, mm. if that sort of makes sense. No, it doesn't. That kind of suits where your story's gone in a, in a little bit. You studied... Me- is <laughs> mechatronics? Is that how you pronounce yes. it? Mechatronics? Yeah, mechatronic engineering. Yeah. yeah, that's where that Lego is coming, coming out, mechatronic yeah. <laughs> engineering, which is like Back mechanical and electrical engineering yeah. as yeah. well. So it's, like, it's like robotic sort of stuff, yeah. Did you have to get a high UAI to get into that? 
Um, I think when I went through, the cutoff was around 92. Mm. So reasonably You're high, smart. but not yeah. crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And is that like, as you were like, because you started that, well, you did that degree. So is that where you thought your life was going to go if you, you know, didn't think about Olympics or anything until you com- <laughs> you, play- <laughs> you were at the Commonwealth Games? Is that where you thought, oh, you were just doing both of them? You're just kind of treading, um, as we said, those two worlds. Yeah, I was just sort of doing both of them. Um, when I when I left high school, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, and it was actually a suggestion from just like, I just asked the people around me what they thought I should do. And they suggested engineering. And then I went to a um, an open day at Sydney Uni, which is the uni I ended up going to. Because mm. um, originally I thought I might want to do biomedical engineering. And then when I went in there, actually the thing that caught my attention was the um, the mechatronic engineering. And it's just something that once I saw it and saw what it was all about, I was like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to do, mm. which was pretty, pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I graduated a few years ago now and I have, haven't ended up doing anything with that. Yeah. But I, I don't feel like I'm ever someone who's really says like, this is exactly what I'm going to do. I feel like I'm mm. someone who just sort of, they're like, this is where I am. This is how things mm-hmm. are going. And I just figure it out on the way. So how did you, how did you kind of juggle those two worlds between running and and your university, your mechatronics as well? Like, and how does it get to the stage where you find yourself at the Commonwealth Games? At times it was really tough. My first year at uni was actually pretty easy because I was injured that year, which means I didn't go overseas and travel. I didn't have any like big international competitions. So I was actually able to do my first year full time mm. and just like I was still training during it, but the big issues with uni is when you're actually just not there. Mm. Um, so for me, my first year of uni was pretty easy. Well, it was, it was pretty normal. It was just like a normal mm. university year. And then it was in my second year of university that I ended up making the Commonwealth Games. So wow, then okay. I just, I <laughs> what I ended up doing was dropping my study load when I was training up to the Commonwealth Games. And I think I missed the first couple of weeks of uni in second semester. And then I was able to just go back and do full time again. Um, it became progressively more difficult as my degree went on because I then ramped up the competitions I was doing. I started making more major international competitions. I started traveling more for my sport. And I was very fortunate that Sydney Uni was just absolutely amazing. I was part of their elite athlete program mm-hmm. and they have people who really work with us to, to do what we can. But there were I think there was one year in my semester, I missed the first seven weeks out of a 13-week semester I was mm. overseas for. Um, and the uni is just absolutely amazing. Like my lecturer, I made sure I always talked to my lecturers and told them exactly what was going on. And some of them would give me, because there was like, there was lab work that needed to be done. Mm. So they would give me equipment that I would take overseas with me and do the lab work <laughs> while I was overseas. Um, or one of my one of my lecturers who was amazing, I was taking two of his classes one semester, each of them had three-hour labs each week. And so when I came back, with like he just set up makeup days. He's like, what do you do on a Tuesday? Oh, and I was great. like, nothing. So I just came in the Tuesday, I set up next to his office and I just smashed out as much lab work as I could. And, you know, within three weeks, I'd sort of caught up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the uni was very accommodating. That was really helpful to me. So just by, I, I dropped some of my class load a little bit. So mm. instead of it taking me, four years to complete my degree. It took me six and a half years. So that combined with just the university being super accommodating, which is how I got through it. Yeah. Let's talk about the jiggle. How did the jiggle come about? 
Um, so it was actually start, something that started in 2009, I believe. Um, I was at, I think it was an all schools nationals. And in Australia? I, yes, yes, mm-hmm. in Australia. I was in, I think I was in Hobart. Mm. Um, and I had a reasonably big program. I think I had four events on and then when you've got heats and stuff, it, it all adds up. You were and how old I at was, 2009? Uh, 2009, I was... 16, might have been 15. I can't remember when in the year it was. (laughs) Sure. But I, it it was my last race of the championships and I was just absolutely cooked. It just been a big, big week. And I tried to warm up and my coach just said to me, like, you've just got to find something out there. Like you don't really have, you've got to find a way to pick yourself up. And I sort of said, okay. And so I was out on the start line and like often at these competitions, they just play music over the loudspeaker in between races Mm. and you're out on the start line for quite a while. So they were playing some music and I was just being silly and just sort of like dancing around doing this sort of thing, trying to like pump myself up. Um, Some of my friends were on the sideline and they were mocking me as I was doing it, which then made me do it even more because I was just like (laughs) having it up and being silly. Um, And I managed to go out there, run a PB. I think I came third in the 100 metres, which was not my preferred event. Um, And I was like, oh, wow, that kind of (laughs) worked. So it was then something that I started bringing into all my races just as a way to just Mm. like relax myself and sort of get me hyped up. Um, And yeah, it's, it's, it's just, come from there. Is it a bit like wearing the same socks? Like as soon as you have a really good result, you want to do everything (laughs) that you just did in that last kind of race where you got that part of that? I think it's a little bit more than that. Like it just, for me, it's the perfect prep in those last couple of minutes Mm. to get me ready to race. Yeah. So when did the interest in your jiggle specifically in the spotlight come on? Was that in 2009? Was a little bit later? No, that was in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was when I was competing at the World Junior Championships. Um, and the obviously this is broadcast across the world and someone... Juniors in Barcelona, up, am I right? Yes, in yes. Barcelona, okay, cool. yes, yep. yes. Um, someone picked up that footage and then spread it across the internet. <laughs> right. When did you first notice that this was garnering a bit of interest? So it was a couple of days after that competition finished. Um, I was actually on holidays with my dad in Rome, I believe we were. And um, one of my friends, he'd seen it on Reddit, I think, and he sent it to me. And I was like, oh, wow, this is a lot. I think at that stage it had 60,000 views. On on YouTube. On on YouTube, yes. And I was like, wow, this is a lot. I showed my dad. I'm like, this is pretty crazy. And then because I was like, I was on holidays, wasn't really thinking about it, didn't look at my phone. And then I came back and I was like, oh, wow, now it's got 2 million. Like it just absolutely took off so quickly. Um, But yeah, like I was on holidays with my dad. So I was like, not really going to think about it or it and just let it do its thing. And I was doing my thing. Do you know, what's it up to now? Um, I'm not actually, no, I think it was just short of 30 million, something like that. Wow. Quite a lot. Just watching you do your (laughs) pre-race routine. Wow. How did that, because then there was this this massive interest in you. How did that interest, because how old were you at that stage? I was 19. Yeah. How did that interest sit with you and sit with your family as as well? It was really strange. Um, (laughs) I feel like I'd gone from someone that no one really taken that much interest in to then suddenly, you know, people were talking about me. And then, of course, as it is, the truth kind of gets a little bit confused out of the internet. So people were saying about me being at the Olympics and stuff because it was an Olympic year. Um, right. And I was like, I am nowhere near Olympic yeah. level. <laughs> you know, it's about juniors, under 20 competition, very yeah. different from the Olympics. Um, 
so yeah, I feel like I got a lot of lot of attention around that that I just like wasn't used to. And it honestly took me a really long time to sort of come to terms with that mm. because I never really wanted any notoriety. No. But when you have it, it's like it's it's just there. And it wasn't something that I had sought out for myself. It was just something that had that had happened. Mm. And there was part of me thinking that I would wish it would all just go away and people mm. would leave me alone. Um and then other part of it, part of me where I was like, oh well I've been gifted this exposure, I should try and capitalize on that. Yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a bit of a balancing act and really, really lent on my family during that time. Yeah. You're only 19? Yeah. 19. Yeah. I was At pretty that, young. Yeah. Super young. I like just 19 as I well. I get that, that balance. That kind of makes sense because, you know, we've, we've had like Liz Clay on before and she talks about how hard it is. Like it's only with this four year cycle that people are interested in it, you know, athletics yeah. and, and everything. And you had this interest and it's like, yeah, you had to kind of I like how you think of it as um, being gifted that exposure because it was a lot of exposure. You had US yeah. talk shows like The Tonight <laughs> Show talking about you, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition you did. Yeah. Uh, you were on the UK show Top Gear as well. Mm-hmm. And you're also the face of Coca-Cola. But for you during yeah. that period when it all just like exploded, what was the craziest part of that period? Was there any moment that was just such a pinch me moment going, oh my gosh, am I here? Honestly, so many pinch me moments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it was just one rolling after the other. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was It was just so different from what my life had been before that in, in, in terms of the exposure. Like obviously mm. my day-to-day life didn't really change whatsoever, just in terms of the opportunities that were coming up. Your social media platforms did? Uh, yes. Well, I don't think I'm not even sure I had social media platforms right. before this all happened. Yeah. It was actually my sister who decided that I needed them and she set them up for me. Oh, no. <laughs> it's a real, and your mum yeah. is your manager as well. It's like a, yeah. a good family yeah. network. I like that. Yeah, no, I was, I was very fortunate. For, for many years, my sister actually ran my social media channels. Um, Great. And then when I got a bit older, then I, then I took over. What did all that interest do to your performance? Did it make you work harder or was it a bit of a distraction? I'm going to say nothing. I, I really don't think it affected what I was doing on the track at all. I felt like I had two separate sections to my life. There was mm. the the part of me that just continued on the same as normal. And then there was a separate side of me that would go out and do these other activities. But I, I don't really feel like it ever really sort of impacted on what I was doing, apart from people just paying more attention to it. Yeah. In 2014, as we mentioned, you were a member of the Commonwealth Games team uh, as well. You were the youngest in your hurdles team, not the youngest in the track team, but you came Mm -hmm. fifth in the final for the 100 metre women's hurdles. You might think you'd be pretty stoked with that result at that stage. How old were you? Yeah, I was really happy with that. Um, I think I was just 21, I think. I think, yeah, I think I just turned 21. Yeah. I was really happy with it. I ran a really good race. I honestly, I thought that I had missed out on the final. Um, I had a pretty tough heat and I came fourth in my heat Um, and they take the top two in each heat and then the next two faster. So I was in the first heat. So when I finished, I thought that I was done. So I actually, it had been raining that day. So I like left the track, took my, took my spikes off, just walked over to the, to the warm-up field in my socks, sat, they had a screen there. I watched our other two Aussie girls run their heats. And then I walked over to the medical people and to our officials to say thank you for the job that they'd done to help me. And they all turned to me and said, what are you doing? Go cool down. You're in the final tomorrow. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> 
<laughs> so I was pretty shocked to even have made the final. Yeah. It was it was a pretty awesome experience. And I was very happy with with where I came and how I ran. And is that what made you go, oh, I could go to the Olympics here? Yeah, well, that season, I think I ran a 13.23. And at that stage, the Olympic qualifier, I think, was around 13.0. Um, and I sort of looked at where I was, what I'd been doing, and w- where I thought I could get to. And, you know, I only needed to drop 0.2, 0.3 of a second. And I sort of thought to myself, like, that's mm. that's pretty realistic. I think I've got some more in me. And so, yeah, it was really at that moment that I thought, you know, making the Olympics is probably something that's a little more realistic for me than I previously thought. (laughs) (laughs) So 2016 comes on, 2015 was that you got the, you, you ran like a a PB, that was our second fastest Australian female in history. Is that right? Yes. 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 Behind Sally Pearson? Yes, behind Sally. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, Coke then calls and says, um, we want you to be the face of our new (laughs) campaign in the lead up to the Rio Games. Um, What's your reaction then? That's uh, pretty big, massive. So it was pretty big, but Coke didn't call and say they wanted me to be the face of the campaign. Coke said they wanted me to be part of the campaign. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that I was actually like kind of the forefront person (laughs) they were using in their campaigns (laughs) until I was actually in pre-departure camp before the Olympics, um, we were over in Florida and it was one of the journos that actually told me because mm. obviously I, I knew I'd done the campaign. There was, a, there was a number of other yeah. athletes that were in the campaign. So this had been shot like I think in November or something mm. the year before. Like it all happened quite early. I didn't realise and then I was talking to one of the journos. He's like, yeah, you're on massive billboards all over Rio. And I was like, wow. what? I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. Wow. I had no idea. No. Wow. Yep. How did you? It I was mean, a surprise for me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how did you react to that? It was really weird. Um, like my face was, like my massive face was in the dining hall um, in, in Rio on like Coke vending In areas. the Athletes Village? Yeah, in the athletes' village. Wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I'd, I'd walk in the dining hall and see myself every day, um, and then yeah, like, when I went like, to Rio, that's me. I was yeah. like, "Wow, look at this massive billboard off me! This is crazy!" Wow. Yeah. So I mean, I, I feel like I mostly just laughed about it while I was over there. Yeah. yeah. It was all pretty surreal. Yeah. There was a lot yeah. of interest as well. What else was happening for you personally in the lead up with your performance and how you were going? What was what was going on? Yeah. So Rio was. A really tough one for me. As I said, we had a training camp in in Florida in the lead up and I actually like left Australia. I was like, this is amazing. I'm in awesome shape. Mm. And so there's only a couple of weeks before we actually then go and race. And I got over there and um, I just, the surface that we were training on there was a little different. It was a a little bit more, more responsive than what I had been training on back home. And I just did some sessions straight off the plane and I just ran a little bit too fast and I pulled mm. up with like nerve pain all the, all down my my right leg, which is my lead leg when I hurdle. And mm. we, we sort of did what we could, but when you've only got a couple of weeks before you need to race and it was just completely unresponsive to everything that the medical team was doing over there. And the response to the medical team was, you're not going to make anything worse here. It's just going to hurt. And I'm like, well, I've come all this way. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to sacrifice my chance to be an Olympian here. So I'm just going to go out there and give it what I've got. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you've ever suffered mm-hmm. nerve pain before. It's pretty Sounds uncomfortable. Excruciating. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> 
trying to hurdle with it was really uncomfortable because every time I was going over the hurdle, essentially I was like putting it into a, like the most painful position it could be in for it. Mm. I've had some painful races. It was probably the most painful race of my life. Wow. And I'm impressed that I was even able to get over yeah. the hurdle. I, like I look back at that race for Rio and it's like training videos and stuff from beforehand. And I just sit and I laugh at the fact that I was still able to running. Do that. Yeah. Because I can just see as soon as my leg would go up, the nerve would just like switch off all the muscles because mm-hmm. it was like, what are you doing? And I would just like be pretty lame, just putting my leg back on the ground. And yeah. I felt like I was running with one leg and that's sort yeah. of what it looks like. Like my left leg was fine. My right leg wasn't. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, honestly, the moment that I like crossed the finish line, I was so unbelievably proud of myself. The fact that I had got right. myself there through everything I'd been through yeah. um, and I actually finished and I was like, this is so cool. I'm an Olympian. Yeah. Um, and then obviously not everyone knows what's going we, that's on. All like, why do we know about that? Why do, Why wasn't that reflected? How do we not, not know about that? At the time, was that frustrating for you that the Australian public didn't know about it or were you just focused on, on being there? Um, and did you feel the pressure because you were the face of it and there had been so much attention? Did you feel that pressure as well going out yeah, there? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought it was... I, I thought it was all a little bit silly because I, yeah, I didn't race to my best, but I didn't perform that much Mm. worse than, like, I I didn't, it's not like I went in there ranked as one of the fastest girls. Yeah. I was never ranked going to make a final or anything like that. And I think just because there was so much exposure around me, which once again, I didn't really know about. (laughs) So I feel like I didn't feel like there was that much pressure on me. And it wasn't until after I competed that I was like, wow, there's a lot of backlash here that I didn't realize was going to happen. And I think that a lot of it got a little misconstrued Mm. Um, in my my interview after the race. I was sort of, I felt a little blindsided by the fact that I felt a couple of journos were like, is this going to like crush you? And um, my response to that was like, no, I had a bad race. That doesn't make me a bad athlete. Mm. Um, like I'm not going to be crushed by this. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And then received a bit of backlash from that. But I wasn't someone, I'm never someone who really wants to mm. make excuses for bad performances. Mm-hmm. So at that time, I didn't talk about what had been going on. But then that means that because I don't tell my side of the story, a whole, a whole yeah. sort of um, story gets written about me that then I'm not a part of. And mm. it wasn't something that I expected to happen. I think if I did, I would have told my side of the story and mm. like let people know what was going on mm. because then other people say stuff and it's it's wrong and it's, it, there's misinformation there, but it, it doesn't matter because mm. now, it's, now it's out. <laughs> because I want to reflect on that because in your press conference afterwards, you said, I've got the actual quote, my yeah. actual race was probably one of the worst races I've ever done. I'm pretty disappointed. There were just a few things that went wrong. Unfortunately, I've been struggling with a bit of nerve pain down the right side for the past two weeks. I felt it grab on hurdle two and I tried to push past it and I couldn't get the same drive that I wanted to with that leg. It set me up badly for the rest of that race. At the moment, I am still young. I live at home, go to university. At the moment, athletics isn't my only priority. Your coach at the time came out against you and said that you underperformed, you were distracted by all the interest and didn't arrive in shape. Was that hurtful hearing that So first of all, that wasn't my coach. That was the sure. the head coach of the team. Yeah. So this isn't my coach that sees me day to day. Yeah. That I'm actually training with. This yeah. Is the, the the coach of the team. Yeah. It was it was it was a bit of kick in the guts because yeah. the entire Australian support staff knew exactly what I was going through. 
Yeah. Well, I've got yeah. to say though, like I read your quotes back because I remember these happening at the time and I'm reflecting before this. And mm-hmm. what you said seems pretty balanced to me. There's a lot of talk about in Sport Australia at the moment about the pressure on athletes, about mental health. It's a big focus for Sport Australia, yeah. the AIS, and making sure that athletes have other focuses, <laughs> not just sport. Yes. And that's where we are at the moment. And we're talking now about were we too hard on athletes back in the day where we had to make sure that like sport was their only focus and Mm -hmm. winning at all costs was the focus. And upon reflection, I almost think that you're almost ahead of your time, Michelle, because (laughs) listening back and reading that again, I'm like, oh no, that, that actually seems pretty healthy to have that mindset. And it seems pretty much the mindset that we now want athletes to have. But did you feel it wasn't like that back then? Do you think that we've we've changed and back then it was a, a little bit too much like at all costs you have to be so focused on this and not have anything else? And Yeah. I feel like back then was probably the start of the shift in that culture. Mm. I mean, it's something that I've always embraced and something that my family has been very big on, you know, everything. It's just like you're a full person, you're not just an athlete. You're always a person before you're an athlete. So you've got, you've got to have other things going on. That's sort of what we were being told the message was, but it's not necessarily the way that things Mm. came across from how people were actually Mm. responding to things. Yeah. (laughs) Like the the words were happening, but the actions weren't necessarily, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because you did an interview with Aaron Lee for Sportet. Mm -hmm. Back in 2014, I think it was, <laughs> and which Sportet is is my platform, and Aaron's a good friend of mine who wrote the article with you. He did a great photo shoot as well with Julia Wheeler with that one. But you said in that interview, and I was reading back over it, I'd much rather have an Olympic gold medal than a Sports Illustrated swimsuit cover, but I can't see why I can't aspire for both. And I just mm-hmm. kind of really like this. You're like, yes, I'd love to have that. <laughs> but also this is pretty cool. So why why do I have to choose? And why yeah. can't I aspire to have have both? And I feel like mm-hmm. you were a little bit ahead of, of your time back then where, you know, and that was the environment and the culture and the society back then that yeah. they weren't ready to let you have both or to let you fall at one hurdle. It was like, yeah, yeah if you did fall at one hurdle, it was because you did the swimsuit cover, not... <laughs> you know, get the Olympic gold medal, but that's yeah. not true, right? No, I mean, I've always thought this stuff is pretty silly. Like a lot of these opportunities that come up, like the Sports Illustrated thing, people sort of like, when you don't do well, they're like, oh, it was because of this. They took time out of training to do this. No, I'm not taking time out of my training to do any of these opportunities. I fit these in around my training. If they don't mm. work around my training, I don't do them. Mm. Like, People don't know the amount of opportunities I've turned down because they didn't work for what I was doing in that moment. But then there are other things that do work around what I'm doing. And so then I do them. It's called balance. <laughs> and that is how the majority of athletes work. I feel like that's how the majority of people work. Mm. Like some things you're going to do and other things you're not going to do. And that doesn't mean that nef- necessarily distracts from what other things are going on in your life. And I think it's just like, I've always found it a bit of a weird thing to say Mm. when athletes will do one thing, they'll be like, oh, well, if they didn't do this photo shoot, they would have won the gold medal. Mm. It's like, no, probably not. Probably didn't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But it was a bit like that. Our culture was a little bit like that then, right? That kind of almost like you can't be too big for your boots unless you're going to bring home the gold medal as well. Yeah. 
this was a pretty difficult time after that, after Rio, for you. And I feel like I, you kind of disappeared for, for a while. You did lose your funding after 2016. How difficult was that period? It was a pretty difficult period. It didn't have to do with the funding at all, if I'm honest. When we talk about funding, we're not talking about huge Lovely. sums of money. The funding we're talking about doesn't actually even cover the amount that I was paying to do the sport that year. Mm. So that that wasn't a, that wasn't a huge loss mm-hmm. to me. The biggest issue I had was just the amount of scrutiny that I felt like I was facing from like domestic media, international media, just mm. and the, just the general perception of me. I really struggled with for a little while. What did you think that perception was? That I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't doing enough. Mm. Um, and it, it really hurt because I knew that I was doing everything that I could. Mm. <laughs> like it, it wasn't like I wasn't putting enough into it, yeah. but it doesn't matter what I know I'm doing or what the people around me know what I'm doing. It's that perception and what's sort of being said mm. about you. And this was like on a global scale. And for a while I was pretty embarrassed to race just because I I just felt like I was just receiving so much criticism and Mm. like I've always been someone who like I just I love competing absolutely love competing Mm. so I'll go out and compete when I know I'm going to run slowly because Mm. it doesn't matter because that maybe that's just where you are in your training and that doesn't matter like I really just try and target one race to be fast you know at that major international that's that's where you need to be fast. The rest of the time, mm. yeah, you want to be fast, but you're building up towards something. Mm. And so I have always just like raced, raced, raced. Didn't really matter to me. But then all of a sudden people were looking at these results and they'll be like, oh, she's done. The amount of people who are just like, oh, she's she's done. She's out of the sport. Mm. She's she's just not coming back. She's not good anymore. And yeah, I just didn't, I rocked up to races and in times when I previously loved it, I was like, I just don't want to be here. Yeah, That was really tough for me. Mm. And it took me, honestly, a couple of years to get over that feeling. I went to world championships in 2017. Mm. And I just remember like riding back to some people back home and I was like, I just don't feel like I belong here. Like I know I've qualified for this team, but I just don't feel like I belong here. Like I'm good enough. Like Mm. it just, Mm. yeah. (laughs) Were you starting to believe what you were reading or you're just just exhausted from what you were reading? I was just exhausted from Mm. it. Um, I I was exhausted from the scrutiny. There was scrutiny, there was like scrutiny from the media and stuff, but there was also scrutiny from within the team environment. Mm. Whether that was real or not, that's what I Belt. It's almost like you had an extra performance goal because of the interest that, and because of the audience that you had had garnered in a way. It almost was like, if you're just Michelle Jenica, then your expectation or, you know, what people would be happy with was at one level, but because, you know, yeah. you had so much interest and in everything, which is great. And it's so good for the sport <laughs> as well. Putting athletics on the map, as we said, like, it's normally like a four-year cycle, you know, that once every yeah. four years you get a little bit of interest, but you were up there putting athletics on the map on a day-to-day, but do you feel like the expectations or what people would be satisfaction level of your performance was just so much yeah. greater because yeah. of that? I-, I feel like the level of performance that I was happy with didn't change, but the mm. level of performance that I thought other people were happy with, that is what changed. Mm. I was pretty done with the sport. It wasn't until Commonwealth Games in 2018 
when I raced there and I like I narrowly missed out on a medal. I sort of finished that race and I I broke down a little bit and I was like, oh my God, I like this actually means something to me again. Mm. Whereas previously I was just I was just going through the motions. I was loving training, absolutely loving it, having a great time, working on some bits and pieces, but the actual racing side of things, I just wasn't, I wasn't in it. Mm. And it was after that race where I was like, oh my God, I actually, I actually do want to keep doing this. Mm. And after that, I did actually take a couple of months away from the sport. Yeah. Where I wasn't training, wasn't really doing anything. Yeah. And that's where I found my love for it again, changed the mentality. And yeah, I've come back to competing for me. Yeah. Cause yeah. I feel like we didn't see you for a while after 28 or even Rio, like we just, you, you disappeared for a while, I feel. I, I was still around, but I just chose to stay out of the spotlight a lot more. Yeah. 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 I was thinking 2018 to 2022. Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. did you do that? Because you have a massive social media profile and platform. <laughs> what, what did you do? How did you do that? Um, I just ignored a lot of requests. <laughs> yeah. 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 You can't always choose when people are going to talk about you. To this day, I, I don't engage with the media nearly as much as I used to. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for being on this. <laughs> really appreciate it. Because I was going to ask fourth at the 2018 Commonwealth Games. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the hardest position to come, Charles. <laughs> but for you, that was the opposite, you're saying. You were like, you, you it just you refound your love. Yeah. I mean, like, I was I was pretty disappointed, pretty disappointed with that race because I felt like I missed out on opportunity a little bit. I don't mm. think I executed that race in the final as well as I could have. But I also walked away from that competition a little bit feeling like I'd been robbed a little just from everything that mm. had happened over the last couple of years and how that had affected my mental state. I almost felt mm. like I'd been I'd been robbed because I I knew like mentally I was just not there. <laughs> yeah. um, and whereas physically I, I was, but, you know, you've got to have that mental side of things as well as the physical side of things. And it felt like a, a missed opportunity, whereas I knew if I had just had everything together in that race, I probably could have done better. And it's 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 and tough to say, like, should have, would have, could have. Um, mm. But, yeah, that's sort of how I felt a little bit. Did you come close to quitting during that time? I sort of used those couple of months I spent away from the sport to just assess what I really wanted. Um, Mm. And I just kept coming back to the fact that I love this sport. I don't care about the accolades or anything like that. I just, I I love athletics Mm. and I have many issues with the sport, but the pure sport itself, I just love it. And I love racing. I love hurdling. And I was just like, let's just ignore the rest of it and just do what you love. And so that's mm. that's what I've been doing. Let's fast forward then to 2022 <laughs> and the yep. World Champs. Because um, I was like, when I saw you at the World Champs and then the Commonwealth Games, I'm like, Michelle's back. <laughs> <laughs> she's there. She And I noticed that you're keeping a bit of a lower profile, but yeah. she's there, a PB in the semi yeah. of the World Champs. What did that do for your mindset and where you were at at that point? Um, that was unbelievable. I was yeah. ecstatic with that. Um, and it was it was a massive PB as well. Um, and it was, I think I'd gone seven years. That, that Nationals in 2015 was my previous PB. And then, wow. yeah, so it had, it had been yeah. a long time. I, I came close to it in the heat at World Champs. And then, yeah, absolutely smashed it in the semifinal. Um it felt really good to 
finally run a race where I felt like that's what I'm capable of. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, just to actually like get out there and, and show what I, what I, what I could do. Um, mm. and it was, <laughs> it was a bit of a miracle, honestly, December 2021 was when I had just gone back to hurdling after not hurdling for like seven or eight months. So the fact that in like six months I was able to pull together a 1266 was pretty incredible. Yeah. And I talked to my team about it. I'm like, how did we pull that off? They're like, I don't know, but let's just go with it. <laughs> yeah. It was mindset, having that time off, say, you know, is that racing for you? Like you you mentioned that before that you wanted to race for you. Yeah, like, yeah. Is that- so my mindset was definitely way better. I went into those races at World Champs and I just didn't expect anything. I was just like, we've done what we can do. We've done everything we can. Let's just go out and have some fun. Don't worry about mm. anything, just run. Mm-hmm. And I think I always run my best when I'm like that, when I'm happy and smiling at the start line and just enjoying myself. That's always yep. when I run best. But I think the biggest thing was that Although I was injured at the start of the year, I managed to get a really good string of training together in the lead up to World Champs where I just wasn't injured. So I could actually show up and put in the work and do every session. And that was probably probably the key to the success. Mm. Yeah. You went on for the Commonwealth Games then yeah. and another PB in the semi before then coming fifth in the final. Was there a feeling there of validation, of redemption or just, you know, personal satisfaction? Because that's Amazing, Michelle. What did that do to you? (laughs) It was just really nice to back up my race from world champs and and be like, okay, that wasn't a fluke. That's the sort of athlete that you now are. Mm. And I know there are a lot of questions that were were raised about that world championship semifinal race. Um, That was obviously the race where Toby Amerson broke the world record. Oh, there were... There were a number Are you talking of, about the shoes or something? People talk about the shoes. They questioned the timing system. There was a number of things that they questioned mm. purely because, like, I mean, everyone ran really fast, but yeah. it was it was perfect conditions. Like, I stood on that start yeah. line and I said to myself, if you can't run fast here, you can't run fast anywhere. Like, it <laughs> was just it, it was just one of those, like, perfect yeah. magical nights where everything comes yeah. together. I am not surprised that everyone ran super fast. Um, yeah. But it was really nice to back that up again at, at Commonwealth Games in some not so great conditions um, yeah, right. with a really similar time. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah. I was really, really happy with that. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And you really proved the doubters wrong. <laughs> Do you feel as though you proved something to outsiders and, and everything in, in that race and in that, with that performance? Look, or does it not matter to I you? probably did, but it's not something that I've really considered. Um, I was saying to someone the other day in the athletics community because we were talking about things and mm. um, I sort of said to them, you know, th- there are so many people that thought that I retired and I came out and ran 12-6 three times. So, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't really feel like I proved anything to anyone. I don't really feel like I need to. I'm, I'm competing for myself. I think that I proved something to myself that I am as good of an athlete as I thought that I could be. Um, running 12-6 was always a, a lifetime goal of mine, which I've achieved. Um, so that's really what mm. I'm more concerned with than what anyone's perceptions are these days. Getting older and wiser. <laughs> you seem like you've always been like that. No matter what, you've just been able to balance the attention and and everything and stay true to yourself. Do you, is that, that's, that's my perception of you, is that? I definitely feel like I've always stayed true to myself. Um, and I, I think that there are times that I've really 
that, like I have really questioned just with external stuff that's going on, whether this is something mm. that I should be doing, whether I am good enough. Um, but at the end of the day, like I'm not, I'm not competing for anyone else. Um, like I, I do it for myself. I do it because mm. I love it. Um, I'm very fortunate to have friends and family around me who fully support me in everything that I do. And they don't care if I rock up and come dead last as long as I've given it everything that I have. Um, and, yeah. and I think that's a big thing for me. Like not everyone can be the best in the world. There are, there's only a a few people that could do mm. that. And um, I, I know how difficult that it is. And I know that everyone's giving it their best shot and I don't expect myself to be the best, but I expect myself to do the best that I can with what I have available. You've had to deal with a lot extra scrutiny, but you've managed to keep a really steady head and your feet planted firmly on the ground, Michelle. I just, I think you've done extremely well and I really admire that about you. Thank you so much. Now that you've had this ripper of a 2022 and you're back, (laughs) are you back? What are your plans for the future? Um, I'm actually going overseas in two days, ah. um, heading over to Europe to do some indoor competing. Um, and cool. I'm just going there over there to have some fun, <laughs> not really trying <laughs> to get too much out of it. Um, just going over to enjoy myself. Like I, I, we, we do a lot of training. Training's really hard. Um, when I came back from the Commonwealth games, I had two and a half weeks off and then I was straight back into training. Wow. And yeah, I mean, part of that was because I felt like I had such a short season. Um, usually at the end of a, a big competition, I am pretty cooked. Mm. But after the Commonwealth Games, I wasn't. I was Five. fresh and ready to keep yeah, going. Yeah, cool. Um, which is a pretty awesome place to, yeah. to be. Um, but the best thing about what we do is actually getting to go out there and compete. Um, so between now and nationals, which are on the start of April. Um, I've got nine competitions that I like to do, like in an ideal world, that's what I'll be doing. Because cool. um, competing is the best part. What's fun in training if you can't compete? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, just want to go out there and, and have some fun and enjoy it because, it, like, racing and over hurdles is one of my favourite things to do. Yeah. Paris? Yeah. 2024? Um, that's next year. That would be great. Wow. <laughs> it is next wow. year. Yeah, it's pretty you close. that now. It is close. <laughs> so, yeah, I've run a um, I've run a qualifying time for the World Champs in Budapest, which are later this year. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, ho- hopefully get to Paris. It, it would be awesome to go and to have another Olympics campaign and hopefully have this one go a little bit more smoothly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the dream. But I know it takes a lot to get there and we've got some awesome girls in Australia um, in the hurdles that are all going to be pushing to- towards that. Yeah. Um, but that's that's the goal, yes. Yeah, because Tokyo didn't happen for you? No, no. Tokyo, um, that was sort of the start of a, like, foot injury that I had. Mm. And I, I had a pretty tough year in 20, I think it was 2021. We all get those um, years Pretty tough up. domestic season. Mm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a pretty tough run in the domestic season, but still with the intention after nationals, my intention was to come back and then um, do some more racing in June to try and, try and qualify myself. Um, and I'd been pushing through an injury and just being like, oh, it hurts, but I can keep going. Mm. And when I came back from nationals, I talked to my medical team. They're like, if you ever want to run, want to run again, you need to stop running mm. now. Yeah. So yeah, we had to take some uh, some more extreme yeah. measures there that I that I would have liked. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I like I loved watching the 2021 Olympics. <laughs> um, like it was it was pretty crazy for me because like we were obviously all in lockdown. Yeah, here, yeah, um, it's perfect. And I 
I was actually in a moon boot at the time. So I would be like <laughs> every night sitting on an exercise bike in my living room, wearing a moon boot, doing some cycling <laughs> wow. and just like cheering on all my friends who are out there and just being like, I want to get back to be there competing alongside um, these uh, these athletes. But I mean, I, I feel like Aussies did so well there and I had so many friends that were over there. So like I had nothing but joy watching it. Um, you just have such a healthy mindset, Michelle. Like you just have such a healthy mindset. And I feel like the rest of a sport has caught up to your mindset. Like I've said in this, this podcast <laughs> in terms of, you know, how we view um, female athletes and the attention they get to we for performance-wise and what's important and mental health and well-being. Like you're ahead of the game there and I feel like sports caught up to you. And that's another one. Like, okay, I'm in a moon boot. I'm watching, you know, the Olympics. I don't know if I'm, you know, being going to be able to get back to that level again, but I'm going to be happy for my teammates and enjoy watching this, but also start you know, getting that fire in my belly. Like, that's so healthy, <laughs> healthy mindset. Yeah, I I, don't, I I like to put a positive spin on everything. Like, life's hard enough without trying to put some more negativity negativity Good in there. Work. So, yeah, just try and find the positive. So good. Mm. Saying that, final question, if you could go back mm-hmm. and tell your little Michelle Jenica a message, mm-hmm. if she's around 10 to 13, what would be that message for young little Michelle? I think I'd tell her to not worry so much about what everyone else wants her to do and just to find her own way. I feel like you've done that. <laughs> yeah, I, have, done I have. I have. Yeah. I think so. Um, but I think it would have been a, a little bit easier if I had known that that's what I could do because yeah. there were times that I didn't know that that is what I could do. Yeah. I just found it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Michelle, I've loved seeing you back. I loved watching you perform last year. I've loved following your journey as well. I've loved seeing sport catch up to your mindset. Um, Thank you so much for breaking your media, not media ban, (laughs) but thank you so much for for trusting us with your story and and sharing your story here on On Her Game. I really appreciate it. No, thank you so much. It's It's been a pleasure being on. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, producer, Lindsay Green, audio producer, Nikki Sitch, executive producer, Jennifer Goggins.